There is no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Morning, everyone. It's Friday, April 14th. I'm Zachary Crockett here with Mark Dent, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. So a few weeks ago, Mark and I ran a survey in our newsletter asking our readers all kinds of questions about the economics of dating, how much people spend on dates, where they go, how inflation has affected them. And today we're going to talk through some of those results. And if you want to see the full report on this, you can check out our email this Sunday. We've got a full breakdown of all the results there. But first, let's talk about what else is going on in business and tech. The cost of a first-class USPS postage stamp will increase from $0.63 to $0.66 in July. That may sound pretty small, but the USPS is on a decade-long mission to wipe out a $160 billion shortfall, and it hopes to break even this year. A $0.03 increase on stamps is uh, a little way to chip away at that. The Library of Congress's National Recording Registry has 25 new inductees, including Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You the Super Mario Brothers theme song, and Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Luxury brand LVMH reportedly broke into the world's top 10 companies as it reached a market cap of $486 billion on Thursday. If it hits $500 billion, it's going to become the first European company in history to ever do that. The EPA predicts that Americans would save up to $1.1 trillion on gas if its new auto emission standards were to be adopted. EVs would cost more upfront, but the EPA maintains that owners would save on fuel and maintenance in the long run. This year's women's college basketball tournament scored record TV ratings, and it also set high marks in gambling. BetMGM said that betting on the women's tournament increased 30% year over year with action actually comparable to an average NFL game. And lastly, an uplifting update, Colorado farmers have won the right to repair their own equipment. This has, of course, been an ongoing battle between farmers and tractor giant John Deere, and the farmers appear to uh, have won out on that one. So one of the reasons we decided to explore the economics of dating right now is that Obviously, we've been dealing with rampant inflation over the past year, and it seems like daters have been hit especially hard. The cost of food has gone up. The cost of drinks has gone up. The cost of gas and transportation has gone up. It doesn't seem like it's an easy time to be on the dating scene right now as a single person. No, it's like literally every component is like what we are thinking of when when we think of inflation is certainly impacted when it comes to dating. Like if people get brunch and, and do eggs, I feel like that's the <laughs> only way that it could be any more impacted. Yeah. But so I, I think we wanted to do this survey to just kind of flesh out like what it means to sort of date in in mm-hmm. the year 2023 in this kind of unusual economic period, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because I think people two, three years ago when the pandemic began, for instance, people were dating in different ways. They were going on walks, you know, they'd have long, yeah. maybe Zooms before they'd meet with somebody, maybe even a couple of Zooms before they would actually meet in person. And I think people 
often saved a lot of money in those days. And now we're kind of back out to something that resembles more of the 2017, if you will, dating life, except for the fact that it is without question more expensive. And I think that our survey results are pretty fascinating around finances. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of people at the height of the pandemic were trying to find workaround dates, maybe going on walks and hikes. One of the questions we asked was actually, you know, what is your go-to first date? And we should say here, before we get into the results, we got about 700 responses. Our audience does skew a little bit younger than the typical national average of 38 years old. It also skews slightly male and slightly higher earning than the average American demographic. But we asked this question, what is your go-to first date? And I was kind of surprised how few people actually go on like active dates or just go to movies. It wasn't that many. And like overwhelmingly by far, people just go to get drinks at a bar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I believe, around 49% of respondents yeah. said that. 27% said dinner, which is uh, basically like the cousin of, you know, of drinks at a bar. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like slightly longer and slightly more formal. And yeah, then it was 21% said something active. hang out at home. I'm interested in who those 2% are. And then 1% for a movie, which was extremely low. And to add a little kind of perspective to the something active equation that I also thought would be a bit higher, I did speak to someone from Colorado who she really likes to do active things when she goes out on dates. And there's a couple of hurdles to it, though, she told me, which is that for one thing, like active dates can tend to be a little bit more expensive. Hmm. She was also like, you know what? The men, they don't like to organize and uh, she's organizing everything. And so <laughs> it gets hard to do activities when it's hmm. you know incumbent on her to do it all the time. Hmm. Interesting. Well, speaking of gender norms, another thing I found interesting here is a question in our survey was, do you typically pay for a date? And if you look at it across gender lines, there is sort of this trope that men should pay for dates. A lot of people think it's outdated. But among our respondents, the responses were very traditional. Yeah. Over 80% of male respondents said that they always paid for the date. And I think only something like 5% of women said that they always paid for the date. Although splitting the bill seemed to be a little more robust, at least. When it comes to sharing the bill, things just are still very traditional. Yeah, right. And I wonder of that 83%, that might be one of those survey questions where the actual number could be a little bit lower in real life, but people like to say uh, that they always pay for it. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, well, let's move on to the cost of the date here, because that was kind of the, the meat of our survey. We found across you know our 700 responses that the average spend on a date is somewhere around 68 bucks. $68... <laughs> hopefully is enough to cover a few drinks at a bar these days. I don't know. But again, that figure, if you break it across demographics, the average man who pays for a date said he spent $87 on a date. That's nearly 30% higher. While the average woman said she spent about $48 when she did pay for a date. Also across age lines, you know, Gen Z and millennials spent less than the average. Average Gen Z respondent only spent about $49 on a date. Gen Xers spent the most, 82 bucks per date. And then of course, across income, lower earners, as expected, spent significantly less than higher earners on dates. So there does seem to be sort of a a correlation between how much you earn and how much you spend on dates. But when we looked at inflation and the impact of inflation, you know, people acknowledged that dates have gotten considerably more expensive, but they weren't really willing to reel back on their dating habits, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, I think like the the exact numbers from the survey showed that the vast majority, 85% 
have noticed that dating has gotten more expensive, but only around 38% mm. said it has cost them to go on fewer dates. But that's still a pretty big chunk when you think about it. And it may not be, you know, when you match it up to that 85, it's not a lot. But I mean, that means more than a third of people have decided to kind of change their dating habits because of inflation. Mm. And to bring up that conversation again, I had with this woman from Colorado who kind of gave me a little bit deeper look at some of the decisions she's made because of finances in dating. Uh, she has gone on fewer dates she believes because of it. Oh, wow. When she tried to explain that to me, she was like, I know it sounds really weird that I'm doing it, but she just feels like she is. And it's changing the way the types of dates she goes on. You know, as mentioned before, those activity dates can be more expensive. Mm -hmm. She even like laid out the scenario where like, hey, if you go for like a walk, that's free. But if like the date is going well, typically you're going to go get a drink after that or maybe dinner after that. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of something that she thinks about. And those thoughts, she's evaluating, really making these kind of decisions about like, okay, like how do I want to spend my social time? Like I can go to dinner with my friends, which will be expensive, but I know it'll be fun. Or I can go on a date and it'll be potentially expensive and who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and yeah. so those are calculations that people are making. I do feel like there is sort of a stigma about trying to find cheaper alternatives for dates, though. Like, I imagine some people out in the dating scene take umbrage if you suggest going on a date that does not cost money. It's like, it's like, yeah. what, I'm not worth spending money on? Like, and one data point to sort of back up this thesis is that we asked, you know, has a person's income ever dictated whether or not you go on a date with them? And uh, about half of respondents said that it has. So people, you know, clearly think about finances and money and economics um, as it relates to dating both before and during their dates. Yeah. And I mean, it depends obviously on, on the dating app, which is how a lot of people, of course, find dates. Mm -hmm. But the person's profession is usually front and center or certainly at least somewhere pretty visible on the profile. So it's yeah. very easy to tell, if not exactly what somebody's income is before you know like almost anything else about them, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're probably going to know like at least salary range or something that would hint at what their earnings are. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was... I don't know. I guess in some ways, well, especially given I know our audience skews a little bit more people who do care about finances and stuff. So I, I guess it's not too yeah, surprising. Yeah. But nevertheless, um, yeah, like that's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what was your first date with your wife? Um, we had like an odd sort of courtship because we met when I was like 18 years old or whatever. Yeah. And we didn't date. We lived in different cities or whatever. So we didn't really go on a first date, I would say, until, you know, many years later. And we just went to a restaurant that was like near my house. I was living in Dallas at the time, which is where I live now. And yeah, I paid for the check, you know, I paid for the whole thing. Oh, what a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a nice restaurant. So yeah. <laughs> But I'll add this too. When people are talking about these activities and like the free dates and having there be some stigma, mm -hmm. I'll say this, the worst date that I've ever been on was a walking date. Really? And yes, and it was <laughs> not because of the walk. Well, actually, yeah, it kind of was because of the walk. <laughs> so <laughs> we just weren't a good match. It, it, it wasn't necessarily me or her. We just weren't the right fit. Okay. And we went walking. And the problem was we went on this trail. I was living in Philadelphia and it was a there and back route, you know, not a circular <laughs> one. And so we got you know, basically oh, to the halfway point. And it was pretty clear that we weren't a good match. And it was just like, oh, no, like now we got to turn uh, around and do the You got to take the walk again. of shame back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, man, you got to do the loops. That yeah. way you have a bailout point. <laughs> what about what was the uh, first date for you and your wife, who I know you guys also met a long time ago? Well, we're both kind of weird, Marcus. I feel like I, I also met my now wife when I was 17. And she was actually my math tutor 
but I remember, you know, just being this like poor kid, I had no money. You know, the only money I had was sort of from working our odd jobs, painting people's decks and stuff during the summer. And um, I borrowed my dad's car. I drove into San Francisco. And the first thing I did was accidentally drive down a one-way street <laughs> and almost kill us both. And uh, yeah, I think we just got something to eat somewhere and, uh, you know, walked around a bit in the city. But, you know, your classic like teenage date, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other weird thing is, I guess you and I have never really experienced what it's like to be on the dating scene with dating apps. I did, actually. Oh. For a few years, I was, well, yeah, for a year or two, I was on them. Yeah. Not a fan? I was, um, it's one of those things where, yeah, you kind of have to go on and off of them. Like, it, you can go on quite a few dates and just realize like, okay, none of these were all that great, you know, and then you just shut them off. And so I feel like that's probably what a lot of people end up doing on them. And, you know, just some of the survey responses we saw is that like the apps in some ways devalue like the dating experience to where like you don't really want to go on that special or potentially expensive of a first date or a second date because a, it feels like there are so many out there mm. and you're not sure if the other person is going to take it all that seriously because you know that they have such a wide variety of things out there. And I actually, I, you know, there was a lot of people who uh, said that in our survey. Hmm. You know, the last thing I'll say on, on that note is I did sort of in the process of going through the survey, came across some <laughs> research by this researcher who suggested that if your goal is to find an ideal partner... There is something called the optimal stopping theory. Hmm. Uh, it's basically like the optimal stopping theory is used when you want to determine when to take a certain action that will maximize the payoff and minimize your future costs. And this applies to many things, not just dating. But in the context of dating, this researcher found that you want to reject the first 37% of potential matches to maximize your chances of finding the most ideal partner. Wow. I guess after that point, I, I guess it's like a, a low-hanging fruit type of theory where like the first opportunities that come in won't usually be the best. And then there's sort of a breaking point at 37% where you start getting into the territory of ideal matches. I don't know if that holds any water, but uh, that is one theory that's out there on dating. That is super exact. Anyone's curious. Yeah, very exact. And I should say this guy was a, a particle physicist and a mathematician. And uh, I, I'd be very curious to hear about his own personal success with this theory. Right. Yeah. Personal narrative essay. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah. Dating is not mathematical or scientific as, as anyone who, who dates a lot probably knows. But anyway, if you want to find more on this survey, we've got a full breakdown of the results coming out this Sunday. This kind of just this is the tip of the iceberg. Go and check it out at thehustle.co slash stories if you're interested. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today was Robert Hartwig. And our executive producer was Darren Clark. We will catch you all next week. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, 
who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 